Welcome to a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. This week, the twins will talk about murders that happened around New Year's Eve. In this episode, what starts as a knock on the door ends in the vicious murder of mother Cindy Duong. The hunt for Cindy's killer leads police down a twisted path, ending in mass murder. Please be aware that this episode will discuss graphic violence, assault, and child homicide. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, spooky kitties. I guess you're Christmas kitties now. Welcome back to the podcast. Ooh, that's creepy. We are back with a new episode and a new theme. And today I'm going to be telling Melissa about a New Year's Eve murder. Ooh, you guys have transitioned from Hellcats to Snowcats for the next two or three months. Oh, that's so cute. Snowcats. Love that. Little snow leopards. Oh. Creepy snow leopards. <laughs> I don't know. I still like it though. We have to find something about this to make cute and make precious and small and fuzzy. So we try to have fun here. We have fun. We have fun. But we wanted to keep going with the crimes that have happened around this time of the month. Yeah, I know it's the holidays, but it doesn't make me a horrible person that for some reason I get enjoyment. Not enjoyment, but I think it's. It's always interesting when there's a crime around the holidays because there's usually some trigger or some crazy story that's going along with it. It reminds me of that show, Homicide for the Holidays. Thanks, Oxygen. Girl, that's where I heard this story, too. Oh, my God. I should have known. I love that show. Jackie is seriously the queen of finding her, her tales from a show on ID or Oxygen. Because half the time it's something I've never heard about and it gives me enough information, you know? That is true. Nothing, you can't get any better sources than seeing it firsthand being talked about. One of the reasons why I like covering these stories that happen around the holidays is because I think it's important to remember that like not, the holidays is great for the majority, but there's a lot of people who struggle around the holidays. Maybe it's like a hard time. Maybe they've had a crime happened to someone in their family around the holidays. So I think it's just also important to be like mindful that this is really happy for some people, but it's going to be hard. And especially in COVID, this is going to be a lot of people's first years without loved ones. So very true. Just remember that going into the holidays. As sad as it was, there were a lot of stories that I saw that were like domestic violence stories that happened around the holidays and things like that, which I had never thought of before. So Um, it is good to give those victims attention, so. And, yeah, just be mindful when we're being all bright and cheery. Just maybe hold some space in your heart for those who can't be. Oh, that's a good point to make. You're sweet. (laughs) Well, thank you. But, anyway, we can get along with the story. So, this is going to be a story from Canada. I don't know if we've done... Yeah, we have. I was uh, going to say, we definitely have, but I just can't pinpoint it. I want to say that 
I think the Ryan family, I believe his name was Brett Ryan, that crazy ass who was robbing banks and yeah, murdered okay. his family. I'm next to positive that one was in Toronto. I was going to say, we've definitely had to do Canada ones, Canada stories. But this one is from Edmonton, which is in Alberta. And it's a kind of a cultural area. There's a good amount of diversity in the area. And the story, it's about uh, Cindy Duong and David Liu. That was her husband. This happened in 2014. And Cindy was 37 at the time. And David was 41. They had met 15 years ago. And it was during the holidays. So it's like a little anniversary time for them. Cute. David's dad was putting fireworks up on his store. I'm not sure, like, real ones are decorative, to be honest, but Cindy and her cousin had been walking by to watch fireworks, so, I don't know, it sounds like it was probably on New Year's Eve, but David said he was, like, pretty shy, but he got some courage, and he approached Cindy, and that was really that. They went on some dates and started dating, and they got married and had a family together. Could you imagine meeting someone under the holiday fireworks around Christmas and New Year's Eve. That's like seriously the start of a rom-com. Yeah, like very rom-com for the man to just approach you and be like, what's up, you know? Yeah, you'd be (laughs) smitten right away. So they were, and they had um, three kids together. Cindy was a really good mom, obviously. Did they get married? Yeah, I think I said that. Sorry, if I didn't, yeah, they got married. But Cindy did a lot for her kids in school and sports. Some of them did hockey, so they were, like, really active, even though they were all younger at this point. And both Cindy and David's parents were from Vietnam, and they had moved to America to give David and Cindy, like, better lives for themselves. So David and Cindy both really wanted to do the same for their kids because they had like similar similar upbringing so they worked hard and cindy was really there for the kids and so was david mm-hmm. they're little sweeties that's cute that their parents both are from vietnam and have migrated to canada i'm sure they have a lot in common raising their family with like those beliefs yeah and i think there's a uh, a decent vietnamese community in this part of edmonton I believe. So this happened on December 29th. It was the evening and the kids were doing their homework on the table like normal kid stuff. And Cindy was helping them with their homework. David said he went upstairs into the master bedroom and I don't know what he was doing. He was just like doing whatever in the master bedroom and he heard the doorbell ring and their son who was 12 went to answer the door and he answered it. And like, I'm sure Cindy was right on his tail following him. Cause that's how moms are. And David said out of nowhere, he heard a loud bang and he kind of just assumed that someone had dropped something. So he ran down the steps and when he got to the landing, he says that he just looked down and at the bottom of the steps, Cindy was laying and like blood was around her so he could tell that she had just been shot. Oh no. Yeah, and he said it was really a blur. Like everything happened so fast type deal. 
the police got called, I believe, by David, and, you know, shots fired, like, in the days before New Year's in Canada is pretty unheard of, especially in this nicer neighborhood, so they get there really quick, um, and the officer goes in, he tries to make sure that, like, no one's in there, and the kids, it's sad, like, David and Cindy's kids are all right there, kind of watching what's happening, and very, very upset, so the officer tries to get them, like, shoo them into the kitchen so they can get away from it all, but he did see that Cindy had a gunshot wound to her head, and that there was blood that was pooling from her head, which, so it must have been a pretty substantial wound, and that she was already turning gray, so. What piece of human garbage shoots a mother in front of her children when her kids open the door answer the door i don't care what this person has done to you if you're getting revenge in front of her children sick that breaks my heart so at this point the officer is there and can see that David is very, very upset. He's trying to do whatever he can to stop the bleeding, but he's also crying uncontrollably. Aww. And Cindy's eyes were still open, but I'm not exactly sure if she was responsive at that time. I don't believe she was. But the officer is trying to do what he can. Obviously, paramedics uh, are on their way and they arrive there pretty quickly And they do what they can to try to keep Cindy alive, but sadly, she passes away. And there's just nothing anybody or their paramedics could do for her. David is obviously heartbroken and says that he felt really helpless. And, like, everything just got changed so quickly, you know, in the matter of literally five minutes. You go upstairs and next thing you know, your wife is dead. Mm -hmm. Not to mention the trauma of... Being in your own home and having your children and wife answer the door to that happening around the holidays. Oh my god, I couldn't even imagine. Right? So in in Canada, I think that the detectives are called inspectors. Because then again, I did watch this on Homicide for the Holidays, so that's what they were calling them on on there. I just immediately had the Inspector Gadget theme song get stuck in my head. (laughs) (laughs) Inspector Gadget. (laughs) (laughs) That was filmed in Pittsburgh, you know? Yeah, I know. Crazy. Anyway, the inspector in this case who showed up says that they always check the family, just like they do in America. Check the husband, check the husband, check the husband. Exactly. So, even though David was really upset, they were going to check him and look into his background. And he said that, um, he basically told them, like, the same thing that he had said over the 911 tape, that he didn't really know someone knocked on the door when he was upstairs and shot Cindy. So, David said that he asked the kids after, well, he asked the kids right when it happened, you know, when he ran downstairs and was in his panic, he said what happened, and his son was crying and was saying it was all his fault because he opened the door and a man was there and he shot their mom. That just made me so sad. I know. My heart is broken. I'm tearing up. I'm like... Swallow hard. Get it together, girl. I know, this one is obviously very sad. Both the kids who 
were at the door and saw the shooter said that it was an Asian man who had come to the door and had asked for their grandfather in Vietnamese. And when I'm sure like once Cindy heard a guy talking, she came up and started talking to the man and they said that he shot her immediately after what she said. They said he was older and he left in a dark colored sedan and had glasses. What? So the police or inspectors, whatever they are called in Canada, they're automatically on the lookout in the area for a car matching that description with a driver of that description. And they don't think it's a random attack because they think it's too coincidental that the shooter spoke Vietnamese and asked if the mother's grandfather was there. Did he live? Did they have grandparents who lived there? Yeah, but they were in Vietnam at the time. (gasps) What? So they were definitely thinking that this was not random. Like, this was somebody who knew Cindy or knew the family, at least. Right. So he orders a background check on both Cindy and David just to see what their pasts hold and to see if there's any sort of connection to the family in any way. They interview David and ask him a lot of hard questions like if Cindy had an affair or if she was had any enemies or was involved in anything sketchy, you know, that sort of thing. But David, he thought it was random because he really didn't know who could do that. Anybody who knew Cindy and she was such a nice person, he could not fathom that somebody would do that who actually knew her. Mm -hmm. They wondered if gangs were involved because drugs and gangs were in the surrounding area. I don't know why police always just think gangs are involved. Immediately. If If it's a woman... Then she ran away at her own accord because she's having an affair with someone. <laughs> yep, she ran away with a man that she's sleeping with. Or somehow it's gang drug-related activity. Those are always the assumptions, and I really, really, really would like to see the statistics on how many murders a year are committed in the home that are gang-related. Truly. I was but, just listening well, to Crime Junkie, we... and they were doing an episode where a teenager went missing, and the police <gasps> I assumed... listen to that later. No, don't was... tell me! Well, I, you'll, this is... I'm sure you can guess. Did they assume it was gang or drug-related? No, they assumed he ran away. <sighs> and they were saying, how many cases do they assume someone ran away when the parents are worried sick, and the person actually ran away and just comes back? I really, really would like to know. I know. Anyway. They don't... I don't think they, like, believe that... They don't give in to that very much because I think they're just going through all possibilities, which I get that. Mm-hmm. So, the background check on David came about, came back nothing, and his story matched, like, just what the kids said because they did ask the kids, like, what did you see? So, they rule him out as a suspect pretty quickly, and he's acting very upset, like, how you would think, so they rule him out. And they actually put David and the kids in a hotel because they thought that the person, whoever did that, might come back or something since he knew where they lived, obviously. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. David says that his sons were so scared they didn't even want to go to the bathroom alone because they were just so shook, mm-hmm. obviously. I don't blame him. How could you ever open the door again without the thought of that man's face? I have no idea. 
So that same evening of December 29th, there's another 911 call in the Edmonton area, but kind of like across town. And it's from a woman who's concerned about her father, name, whose name is Fu Lam. And she wasn't able to reach him in a couple hours, and she was worried because he had made some strange comments the last time they, she had spoke to him. And he was saying things like he may not see her again. And so she just, like, wanted the police to do a welfare check because she was like, this sounds a little suicidal and I am worried about my dad. Mm-hmm. So Fu lives with his wife, Tian, and they have their two children. And Tian also brought her parents and sisters with her when she moved to America from Vietnam to marry Fu. I'm not sure how exactly they met, but um, she came to America to be with him and also brought her parents and sisters. Okay. So the police go over, and they didn't see anybody or anything, and they're nice enough that they call the daughter when they're there, and they're kind of, like, telling her what they're seeing. Like, everything looks normal. It just doesn't look like anybody's home. And the daughter's like, well, please just, like, keep looking. I just don't feel right. Mm-hmm. And so... I'd be like, FaceTime me. Flip the camera around. <laughs> I know, right? But they're like, all right, you know, we'll just keep digging around. And so they said they are looking around and stuff around the house. And detectives do notice that there were footprints going around the building that were fresh in the snow. And they notice that there's a red stain in one of the footprints, which they think could be blood. Yikes. So, the inspector on this case, for whatever reason, I'm not entirely sure. He calls the inspector from the Lou, Cindy Lou's, or Cindy Duong's murder, since, like, they're in the same area, and they both realize that two families, they're both Vietnamese, and it seems like foul play is involved with this family, so... Before they even know anything's happened, they think this stuff is connected. Like, they're pretty quick to link these. Finn and Cindy? Yeah. Okay. And so with this idea, they call more officers to the scene, and they think they have enough to enter the home legally, because they have a good amount of suspicions. And so... Wow, they're moving fast with this one. I know, right? That's what I said. I was like, wow, they're on top of it. And... Yeah. (laughs) They get another call, basically at the same time, from a Vietnamese man who said that he hadn't talked to his wife in a few days because that they had had a fight, but he was worried about her because his wife was staying with Fu Lam and not answering her phone. Oh my gosh. So now they're really like, all right, we're going in. We have enough at this point. Yeah, you have two missing people reported who were last at this house. Yep. So... They go to open, like, bang on the door, and they just turn the doorknob, and it's unlocked. What? So they just, like, go in, which... That's easy. I'm like, we could have done this the whole time. But they... I'm pretty sure one detective or inspector went in first and just, like, immediately yelled out, it's bad. Oh, no. So on entry into the door, they see that there is blood all over the place, And there's blankets that are laid over just puddles of blood. And they can see there's dried blood and brain matter dripping from the walls. There's 
smear marks in the tile where a body had been dragged around the corner. So they follow the drag marks. And they make their way into the living room and they find three bodies that are dead and lined up. And they can tell that the bodies have obviously been dead for some time. This is like a straight up a scary movie. I can't... The shit that some of these... That some, you know, like, officers and detectives who find these scenes... I couldn't even imagine you... How do you even turn a corner normally again after seeing something like that? I really couldn't imagine. And I also think that, like, all people doing this work should get like counseling just to talk about this type of stuff they should have a group they should have a therapist at police stations like i don't even know how this would work obviously in some world but there should be a therapist there who is on on site basically i agree but let me spill this let me keep going with this spill the disgusting tea yeah this disgust so they see these three bodies lined up in the living room and they're like, well, we got to search the whole thing now. They go to look upstairs for anything else. And this, they see a deceased eight-year-old boy with a bullet hole in his head laying in his bed. And then they find someone else upon first going, someone else who's deceased upon going upstairs at first. They go into another room and find two more bodies with bullet wounds in their head, too. So What? There were seven total dead bodies. Oh, my God. And they said that they had to obviously call the chief of police because it's now considered, like, a mass murder. Wow. Okay, that went zero to 100 so fast. Yep. And it's not ending. Oh, fuck. Thanks. No. Well, it's just... It's it's all crazy. So, they wondered if maybe the killer was one of the victims, because they're like, I don't know, that could make sense. Mm -hmm. But they didn't find a gun in the house, so they ruled that out. They determined that the three of the bodies that were downstairs had been moved, and that they were probably shot at different times in the living room as the person entered the home. And then drug into the living room. And the bodies were Tien, her sister, her sister's daughter, Tien's son, Tien's parents, and a man named Viet Nguyen, who was not related to the family. Who would do something like this? But, if you'll notice, the names I just read, Fu Lam... It's not one of them. Oh, damn. I forgot about him for a second. I was so shocked. Yeah, who they're even going to check on. He's not even there, but his family is slain. And his children. Well, his one child. Just the son. Uh, Well. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally forgot to mention this, guys. I'm really, really sorry. Fu, when he saw his daughter earlier, he gave her daughter his one child and another child that was staying at the house was just like, can you babysit them, basically? So that's okay. why, like, two kids of this family are are not here. So that, sadly, they're, like, basically the only survivors of this horrible thing. That's so weird. So Fu met his one daughter and was like, can you watch 
my child and another child that's staying with me. Yeah, he has, like, an older, like, a grown daughter, because he did have a previous marriage, so he has a grown daughter, and then he has, like, a young daughter who needs babysitting, and I'm pretty sure, like, because they did have a lot of people living in the home, so I think, like, someone else's daughter. Okay. And I'm sure his niece or nephew, whatever, but he took these two kids to his sister and made all those like weird comments like I don't know if I'm gonna see you again and stuff which is why she was so pushy with the police because she was like that is weird but his one son is dead I was just going to say that it's so strange that his one son is there murdered but he gave the other child to his daughter and that's really what they wondered they're like well Fu is not one of the victims but why would he kill his wife her whole family and his son yeah and his own son yeah so Fu his wife Tian's car was not in the driveway anymore so they think that he drove off with it and they're all on the lookout for it and sadly, the license plate of that car was actually, had the name Elvis in it because that was um, her son's name, uh. Tian's son's name. Aww. And they also think that it could have been, this car could have been mistaken for a dark sedan. Like, it was dark colored, so they wondered, like, it could have been the car seen at Cindy's house. Right. They talked to Fu's daughter, who told them more. And she said that Fu and his wife had a volatile relationship and that Fu had thought he was not supported for bringing over Tian and her whole family and that made him upset. I don't think he felt, like, emotionally supported, not financially. Right. But got some resentment in there. And Tian had said that she wanted Fu to actually leave the home in those days right before New Year's. Oh, wow. Yeah. And... The daughter says that Tian had uh, started actually seeing a new guy. Like, she just totally told Fu, I think we're not going to be together. And she started seeing this new guy. And the new guy was actually Viet Nguyen, who was the man killed at the home who was not related to them. Mm, Okay, so So it definitely, um, as horrible as it is, it seemed like Fu did this. So they keep digging into Fu's background to try and figure out more about him and where he could be, and they find that he is in debt about a half a million dollars. Yowza! And they also find allegations of physical and sexual abuse from Tian and their relationship, and that there had been a protective order against Fu from recently. Oh. So this is some tea. Fu, for some reason, had gotten a DNA test on their eight-year-old son, Elvis. What? For the reason, I am not sure. But he found out that Elvis was actually not his child. <gasps> oh. Okay, so, so whatever he reason have, he had was yep. justified. He had some suspicion. When did he find that out? Literally, this was, like, recently. Oh, damn. So, he showed the test to Tian and her whole family, and her family was begging him to forgive Tian, and he flipped and beat Tian up and actually raped her. Oh, my God. And... It was so violent that Tian's sister was actually the one who called the police. Oh, my God. And charges related from that. 
but later on, Tian ended up dropping the charges, I'm sure, because she was terrified. This is such a twisted, like, love romance. This is horrible, and these people needed to be separated. Yeah, it got crazy. So, they showed David a picture of Fu and was like, do you know him? And he says, no, I have no idea who this guy is. So they're still like, well, why is it like, we still don't understand how he's connected to Cindy. Yeah. So they ping Fu's phone and find that it's about 16 miles east of Edmonton. And they find Tian's vehicle parked out of a Vietnamese restaurant in Fort Saskatchewan. And they find that Fu had actually used to work there. So, they send inspectors to the restaurant with backup to see what's up, and they yell into the restaurant, basically, like, tell them to come out with your hands up type gig, Mm -hmm. and they don't hear anything, so they get the tactical team, and they're ready to go, ready for a fight. They walk into the restaurant, and they actually locate Fu on the ground with a gunshot to the head, and he had killed himself. Damn it. So, was there, were there not people in this restaurant? I guess not. Maybe it was close for the holidays, I'm assuming. Okay. At first I was picturing like five people just eating their dinner and the cops banging on the <laughs> I know. I kind of was too. But no, I don't think it was open considering he's dead on the floor. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a horrible thing to find. Yeah. And in the restaurant. So they, they find the gun that he used to kill himself and they find that it was also the gun used in the mass murder and in the murder of Cindy. But they're still like, how is he connected to Cindy? That's what they're like. They're like, what the age? Why? How? Yeah. And also that restaurant is never going to be able to open again. I wonder if it's haunted. I, I feel like okay, it would I thought be. that too, but I felt bad saying I feel it. like it would be. So Fu had shot his family the morning of December 29th. Detectives and inspectors, police, what have you, they believe that Fu lured his in-laws in over by texting them. Well, I think they believe that he killed Tian first and their son, which he no longer obviously didn't consider it his son, even though you still raised him. Well, now that makes sense why he gave the other two kids to his daughter. Right? Oh my gosh. So he lured over his in-laws by texting them off Tian's phone. So he lastly lured Tian's new boyfriend into the garage off Tian's phone, too. He left alive his daughter and, yeah, the other toddler. But he killed the in-laws and at different times. Like, you know, whenever he was able to lure people over and then drug them into the, the living room. And they finally are able to put together an idea, and this has to be what it is, about how he's connected to Cindy. They think that he went to Cindy's house looking for Cindy's father, who they used to be close friends. Like, Fu and Cindy's dad used to be close friends. Okay. Something happened where they got into some sort of argument that ended their friendship, but, like... It must have been bad because apparently it, like, scarred them both. Like, Cindy's dad and Fu were both very, very hurt for years by whatever occurred that ended their friendship. Wow. So they believe that Fu 
knew he was going to kill himself and knew that he was just raging basically that night and he went there and he was going to kill Cindy's dad as his last act of like revenge on this earth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Cindy's dad was in Vietnam on vacation. So they believe that he just killed Cindy without even caring because I guess to hurt Cindy's dad, but it's just so messed up to do that in front of her her kids for honestly, truly no reason. Like for revenge on her dad. Okay. A friendship that ended years ago, years ago. What did Cindy have to do with anything? None of those other people had anything to do with anything, and I guess that is the point. Like, he was just raging against everyone. Even if he was mad at Cindy for having an affair or whatever and having another child, that's not the child's fault. I mean, Tien. I'm sorry, Tien. Like, that's not Tien's fault. No, I mean, yeah, it's not the child's fault no matter what Tien did. Don't take it out on the child. Right, like, he just took out his anger on the child and the in-laws. And Tien's whole family? Tien's sister's children. Why? Yeah, her sister's kid, that's messed up. But, But Cindy is the, like, the most... Just, I don't understand why. Because, like you said, that fight was years ago. Even if you were all mad about it, at what point are you not just going to turn and leave? Instead, you're going to kill an innocent mother with her children standing next to her. Right? And it's really sad, but I'm surprised he didn't just kill her whole family. But I'm really glad he didn't, obviously. It's just so scary. Like, her kids, I mean, I'm sure her family's never going to be the same, but I couldn't imagine growing up knowing that this guy just murdered his whole family and then came to basically kill mine. And how infuriating, never getting closure, never getting justice to try and fight for justice, never actually yeah. getting a solid answer, solid concrete reason Why did this friendship end to the point you needed to kill someone's child? I mean, I'm sure the families, I truly think it's one of those things that the families know, but it's one of those, like, the whole world doesn't have to know. Whatever it was, like, I think they know, but it's like, why tell the public? And I will say, like, I couldn't find this story on any podcasts or anything like that. I don't know if it's because it's in Canada. I mean, like, there were obviously news articles written at the time, but... The TV show, like, none of the articles explained any of that stuff. It's all on the show. And you would think a murder of eight people total would be more talked about? Exactly. But I trust the show because David's on it. The husband. He is? Cindy's husband, yeah. Oh my gosh. He's he's so sweet. He's so nice. Like, And he talks about the day and everything? Yeah, he, like, says everything that happened... I don't remember if there's somebody there from Tian's family who talks about it or not. Like, obviously, go watch. It was, um, hold on, let me get the, I know it's season two. This is Homicide for the Holidays. Yep. Season two, episode eight, Bloody New Year's. Oh my God. And that was like one thing. The first thing I thought was when I heard the story was like, oh, it's on December 29th. That's not on New Year's, but... Could you imagine, though? So they found 
Foo's body on Tuesday, on the 30th. Like, this happened on a Monday, on the 29th. Uh-huh. They found Foo's body on the 30th. Could you even imagine, though? Like, I'm sure David, the whole next two days, was just in the police department and stuff. Like, that's a horrible way to spend your New Year's. And knowing that you and her met at New Year's. Oh, my God. I forgot I'm about sorry. That. Not to make it more heartbreaking, but I just Yeah, really... way to pour salt on the Arnie open wound. It's just... It's sad, and I feel like... I don't really know what to say, because the story's really hard, and there's, like, nothing. Like, I feel like, for once, not a lot of learning points, mm-hmm. other than ring doorbells are really great inventions these days yeah honestly it's just tragic that cindy had to get pulled into foo's bs because he could obviously just leave just have left like or just have turned around and left cindy when she said her dad wasn't there right like people there's something called divorce and i'm sorry i don't know what you think it's just like divorce is easier than this carnage Truly. But I'm not even going to go on my soapbox <laughs> drama. Y'all we'll get, know. <laughs> we'll get on it next week because my, my <laughs> tale know. is truly atrocious and it's oh, so great. sad. But like you said, it is such a point to say that th- these tales still need to be talked about because even myself, I forget sometimes that there are crimes and stuff like that that happen around the holidays. So. Yeah, and it makes you think differently like... Not everybody is going to celebrate Christmas and be happy and be joyous and partying. And it's just like, that doesn't mean that we don't have to do that. Because obviously live your life. But just freaking take 10, 15 seconds to think about those people. Maybe say a little prayer. Or if you're not spiritual, just say a little like empathy. Yeah. And like we said at the beginning of this episode, well, I said this and then it's crazy. It turned out to be true with domestic violence yeah. around the holidays. Yep. Uh-huh. Be careful, you guys. If you, you know, relationships and end around the holidays and stuff like that, you know, just be careful and, oh, yikes. And yikes. Yeah. There's a lot we can say. It's just really hard because I don't know if there's anything TN could have really done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, truly. Other than straight up, like, I don't even know. I don't. It's just really tough. But that doesn't mean that the stories, they still need to be remembered. Yeah, and those families, the children, they do need to be remembered. So I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, yikes. Well. Yep. Sorry, guys. That was a tough one. Let us know what you guys think. We hope you're having still a great holiday, still a great Christmas. Let us know if you guys have been watching uh, Homicide for the Holidays, if you watch those shows on Oxygen. You know damn well we do. Yep. (laughs) And I hope you guys are still having a great December and are getting ready for a great 2022. Yes. Thank you guys for listening to this episode and stay safe above all else. Stay safe. Yes. Thank you. We love you guys. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.